0: Bring the sabor with new Modelo Chelada Fresa Picante. A mouthwatering mix of authentic Mexican beer, bold strawberry flavor, and a hint of spice. New Modelo Chelada Fresa Picante. Bring the sabor. Drink responsibly. Modelo Chelada flavored beers. Imported by Crown Imports Chicago, Illinois.
1: From Crooked Media, this is Unholier Than Now. I'm your host, Philip Picardi. Well, everybody, deck the halls, light some candles, and cue the mariah. It's officially the holiday season. This year, though, we're gearing up for a holiday season like no other before. A troubling rise of coronavirus infections across the nation threatens to seriously impede travel plans, as Americans all over do their part to prevent the spread of our ongoing pandemic. So as long as we're reimagining our holiday traditions, today's guest would like us to rethink just one more, shopping for gifts. No, no, today's guest is not the Grinch, or Scrooge for that matter. His name is Matt Rossano, and he's a professor of psychology at Southeastern Louisiana University and the author of five books. Lately, Matt has been exploring the concept of human rituals and how throughout history, humans have upheld certain symbols and traditions as sacred. Matt is concerned that we've replaced sacred symbols that uphold ancestry, community, and family with more material things like Chanel. Guilty. To Buttress' argument, he points to the wild lines and chaotic scenes at Black Friday sales all over the country. Now, all of you by now certainly know that I'm no big fan of institutional religion. But I am a big fan of Fashion. So Matt and I got the chance to argue, I mean, talk, about the rituals and symbols we build for ourselves and how to find meaning among it all. And later, we'll be joined by the comedian Brian Safi for a special holiday edition of Am I Going to Hell for This? But in the meantime, let's talk to Matt. Matt, thanks for joining me. All righty. Well, good to meet you. I'll jive right in. You once wrote, I remain to be convinced that the world is a better place if increasing numbers of people bow at the altar of Gucci, Gap, and Lexus, rather than Jesus, Allah, and Vishnu. Can you tell me what compelled you to write this?
2: Well, I guess because um, I heard a lot of discussion that maybe the world would be a better place if there were no religion. But uh, that often makes me wonder, okay, what are you going to replace it with? And if you're going to replace it with something, is it going to be better? And I'm, yeah, that last line was um, expressing that... uh, that I'm a bit uh, skeptical that replacing religion with something else, whatever that else might be, necessarily means that things will get better somehow. Uh, In fact, I think there's a lot of reason to suspect that things wouldn't get better.
1: Sounds like you're making a very deliberate um, commentary here on consumerism or materialism, right? I mean, you chose luxury brands like Gucci and Lexus to compare to Jesus and and Vishnu.
2: Right, yeah. That's because of um, this idea that uh, not me, but others had been floating around that looks like consumer behavior is taking on religious dimensions. Uh, Consumerism is in fact Mm -hmm. becoming something of uh, modern religion. And um, if that's the case, then uh, that worries me. Maybe that's one of the things that we've been replacing religion with in the modern world. And um, that doesn't sound to me like it's a step up. How did you come to this kind of
1: um, conclusion or this thought that consumerism was becoming a sort of modern version of religion? In what ways does consumerism look like religion (laughs) to you?
2: Well, um, you have some similarities. First of all, you have Black Friday coming up, which is something like a high holy day of consumerism. And when people are willing to give up sleep and willing to um, hang out at a Walmart or a Target or whatever at two in the morning for it to open up, this sounds a little like religious behavior. And others have pointed out that there's a value system uh, associated with consumerism, uh, something which is rather new, um, but, The idea behind this being that you're good, you're doing good to your community uh, if you are consuming. Uh, Because uh, if you consume, then of course, then the makers of those products are able to hire more people and the retailers who sell those products Uh, are able to stay in business and hire more people. And so you're helping to keep the economy strong by consuming and then throwing out and consuming again because this keeps the economy humming along. And you're being a little bit selfish uh, if you are being frugal uh, because then you're not contributing to keeping the economy running and humming. And maybe this is a little bit of self-centered behavior on on your part. So consumerism represents a value system And you can reinforce that value system by having these events that uh, people are willing to sacrifice for and lose sleep over and and all this sort of stuff. And it's a value system which is very contrary to the value system of most religions that preach uh, self-sacrifice and frugalness and um, not conspicuous consumption, these sorts of things. And uh, another thing that was was present in that uh, essay that I wrote is a number of studies which have shown that that, that consumer behavior seems to be replacing religious behavior as a means of gaining self-worth. And so you've got these various connections uh, which seem to suggest that uh, consumerism is filling a gap that once was filled by religion.
1: And then psychologically speaking, consumerism has been shown to also produce results in the brain. It can become addictive, for example, can become instantly gratifying, right? You're, you're um, a professor of psychology, so I'm sure you can explain this better than me. Please do. Oh,
2: well, right. The reward centers of the brain uh, often get stimulated by uh, consuming things and uh, getting new stuff. If you take it back and look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, if you went out and hunted something and killed something, that was a great reward. and You get all this dopamine that would get released in your brain because that your brain was now telling you, you've just done something, which is going to be very helpful for your survival and reproduction. Uh, And I'm the brain speaking here. I'm going to reward you for that so that you do this again. You're motivated to continue this behavior. Well, the brain doesn't know that it's now in a modern world where you don't have to go out and kill a wildebeest. Instead, you can just go out and order a pizza or you can just go out and use your credit card to buy new shoes and get all kinds of material resources that in the past you would have had to have worked uh, and sweated and and put forth effort. The brain doesn't know it. It just knows, wow, here's material resources and food resources and status symbols that are going to potentially make my survival and reproductive success greater. And so it floods the uh, brain with the dopamine reward chemical. And uh, you're motivated then to do it again and do it again.
1: And I worked in luxury retail for a number (laughs) of years. And I have to say that this concept of um, ritual that you talk about and and how consumerism mimics religion, you know, that idea of ritual is very prevalent in the idea of selling someone a luxury good, right? You have to convince someone that a $4,000 handbag is well worth its price tag, right? And how you do that is often through clever sales tricks, yeah. right, where you unveil the bag or you make it so the bag is only behind the counter so you can't see it on the floor. You wrap the bag in a certain way so it feels like luxury even just opening and showing it to the customer. You wrap it when they leave so that they feel like they're opening a present when they get home to kind of take the bag out for the first time and use it for the first time. And some and people have very visceral reactions to this ritual of of luxury, this ritual Of of shopping. But, like, what is it about these rituals that make it such an important part of human behavior? Why are rituals so intoxicating for us to be a part of?
2: Oh, really cool question. Rituals have a deep evolutionary history. And so they're going to be tapping into the deep uh, primate emotional brain centers. Um, What you're doing in ritual typically is you're reinforcing some kind of group values. And you're um, telling people that they are part of a group, their role in the group is important, their loyalty to the group is important. And you do this usually with symbols, sacred objects of some kind, very deliberate gestures. And all of these things then reinforce that there is something special about the group, something special about what the group believes. And you're part of this. And therefore, you should be willing to give your loyalty to the group, sacrifice for the group, do what's good for the group. All right. Now, Going back to what you just said about the way you're selling this handbag, you're doing many of the things with the handbag that would have been uh, done to sacred objects in very ancient ritual activities. These objects would have been venerated. They would have been held up in front of others. Others then are going to bow to them, kiss them. They're going to treat these objects not as ordinary objects, but as somehow special objects that connect them to the supernatural, connect them to the ancestors, connect them to the deep history of the group. And once again, think about this in terms of the the Stone Age brain, a brain which evolved over the course of a couple million years, a primate brain. It's now been very quickly, uh, at least in terms of evolutionary time, thrust into a modern world. Well, it's a brain that's sensitive to these particular sorts of actions that tell us this is something special, this is something unique, this is something worth sacrificing for. Only now, you're taking all of those gestures which in the ancient past would have been associated with uh, some kind of sacred supernatural object, and you're putting it onto a purse, right? Or just some kind of consumer item. But the brain doesn't really understand the difference. It just understands the context and the gestures and the meaning that has typically been behind these things. And so the person is going to feel all of those emotions that you might suspect that our ancestors felt when they were doing some kind of ritual around a campfire uh, with sacred objects, you know, saying sacred chants and that sort of thing. Uh, And so you're going to have this great sense of, wow, this is something significant, something important, something that connects me to a community. Um, Only in this case, it's a $400 handbag. Um, But the brain, you know, doesn't make these distinctions because it's a Stone Age brain in a modern world. So,
1: listen, you sound pretty cynical about <laughs> this. You sound like people should not be venerating Chanel handbags. And I, I have to say, I take umbrage with this. Is that I think. right? <laughs>
3: well... I,
1: I mean I get what you're saying. Right, consumerism as a general practice is a not good for the environment. We've seen this time and time before. Fashion as an industry is one of the uh, greatest polluters, right up there with air travel yeah. actually. And of course, landfill and waste is a huge problem if you are constantly as you alluded to disposing of items and rebuying new things. Of course, that is wasteful behavior. And then there's of course the predicaments that people can find themselves in if they try to spend beyond their means. And how sometimes these are very predatory practices that deliberately target folks to spend beyond their means and then punish them or or kind of ensnarl them um, in debt and um, loans as a way to kind of always keep them tethered to you or owing you money. So, I mean, of course, sure. there are um, very tumultuous kind of side effects to this kind of consumerist era. But when you do talk about this, like, symbol, right, who's to say that like the symbol of the cross or the symbol of the body of Christ, for example, if we're taking a Catholic metaphor, means more or should mean more to someone than like a really nice watch that they've wanted their whole lives. You know what I mean? Aren't technically both of those symbols
2: only what we apply to them? Okay, right. Uh, On on one level, I think you're correct. Uh, Something means whatever it means to the individual. But I think you've pointed out a lot of the arguments that I would just make saying that, well, okay, maybe it is the case that symbols mean different things to different people, but what are the consequences of those symbols? And you've just mentioned, you know, treating what you, or the handbag, uh, you've just described a number of the negative consequences. If you get a large, you know, Mm -hmm. multitudes treating consumer goods as if they're sacred objects that they must strive for and work for, certainly there's downsides to religion. um, But to the extent that religion teaches and and the symbols of religion reinforce uh, such things as self-restraint and humility uh, and caring for others as opposed to being just concerned about yourself, uh, then one might argue that there are potentially more positive consequences coming out of venerating and holding sacred various religious images as opposed to consumerist images.
1: Okay, sure. So let's stay with the cross, for example. That's a religious symbol that uh, many people, billions of people, venerate all over the world. We are, you know, talking on an episode airing the day after Thanksgiving, and the cross to, let's say, indigenous American people. Could not mean the positive things you just mentioned, but rather genocide, rape, disease, the stealing of land, you know, all sorts of terrible things. So I guess my question about these symbols is, and and the, the value we place on symbols, is does all of it actually mean nothing? Or is it possible that a symbol can mean two drastically different things to two different people and maybe we need to leave room for that kind of vague interpretation?
2: Well, sure. Yeah, and there's going to be variability in how different communities interpret symbols. And I, I guess the best you can do is to look at okay, what does the symbol mean? And what kind of consequences come out of venerating that symbol or honoring that symbol?
1: I love that. Yeah. What is your relationship? to this symbol, because you can have a toxic relationship to the cross. You can be a religious fanatic, as in a white Christian evangelist, right? Yeah. Or you could have a healthy relationship to Christianity and see the positive effects of Christianity and want to be, you know, practicing what it means to be a good Christian in the world and have a net positive impact on on your community. And so that brings us to this concept of Black Friday, right? Because what you're kind of saying is Black Friday as this ultimate ritual of consumerism is exposing the very worst and most toxic
2: natures of consumerism as religion, right? I think there's many more downsides uh, to this than there are positives. The positives are what I mentioned earlier, and that is that you're keeping the economy humming. And I guess that's fine because people need jobs and, you know, buying stuff creates jobs and all that sort of thing, but it seems to me that there are healthier alternative ways of accomplishing those same ends. Uh, As the potential downside and the potential problems associated with the way that Black Friday seems to play out nowadays, it seems to me on balance, it's more negative than positive. And so that's, that's where I would go with that argument. We're looking at symbols, ask, how does it balance out? on the on the whole better or worse and uh, right now and this is my opinion i think black friday is worse than better
1: yeah no i would i would happen to agree with that i i do believe that there is a positive end to adornment i do think that many cultures all over the world have shown us um why adornment is um a valuable thing why beauty is an important thing and why beauty has its place um i think obsession with anything in particular becomes an issue. And Black Friday, to me, does seem like is this embodiment of obsession. I, I also want to just point out, by the way, that like Black Friday also offers deals to folks to afford things who normally would not be able to afford them. I want to be sensitive to like acknowledging privilege within this conversation, too, because that's that's crucial in how we dissect consumerism and talk about consumerism in these ways.
2: Yeah, well, I agree with what you said to a point, but I always scratch my head and wonder, gosh, do you really need those things to begin with? So if you cut the uh, flat screen TV in half on Black Friday, if you cut it in half from $1,000 to $500, might that not still be $500 better spent for, for someone who is not of great means on something else? I wonder, I wonder if they couldn't do something better with those $500 if they're already rather scraping by with their, their income and, and their expenses and that sort of thing. And Black Friday to me is somewhat coercive in that it gets somebody to spend money, more money than what they really can afford on something that maybe they really don't need that much. And that worries me.
1: Yes, no, that's that's very valid, right? And the concept of what we need is confusing. You could say the same thing about the yeah, iPhone. Yeah, what do right? we need? Do any of us really need the, uh, this iPhone, Right. And yet we yeah. line up for it every time. I have never gone without the latest version of the iPhone. I'm pretty sure it's been just a, a probably a negative impact on my life, if anything. But I, I can't seem to think that I could live without it. So it is um, important to be able to, I guess, diagnose these things um, in our lives, even if we do participate in consumerism, which it does feel inevitable to participate in consumerism as an American. Um I guess we just have to be able to acknowledge um, the role that it's playing in our lives and in our psychology, which brings me to my next point. You know, in closing, is there a conscientious way in your slightly puritanical opinion? um, Is there a conscientious way to participate (laughs) in Black Friday?
2: Well, if you're going to participate, a little self-restraint is probably in order. What do I really need? I suppose if you are capable of just buying things that are really necessary, that you would be buying anyway, otherwise, and therefore getting a good deal on it, and therefore leaving funds available to purchase other necessary things, that you're probably approaching it in a reasonably healthy way. Now, I'm not sure how many people approach it that way. It seems to me it's more of a just a consumerist festival. But if you were to approach it that way, where you're really getting the best out of it and you're not harming your expenses and your budget all that much, uh, then I suppose you're probably you're probably okay. But I kind of think the folks that do that are, are few and in between.
1: So I'm just curious, do you ever leave
2: room for yourself to indulge? <laughs> in anything? Uh, oh, my indulgences, uh, I am a craft beer lover.
1: There you go. That's not necessary.
2: It's necessary just... There, oh, got it. So it's necessary to you is what you're saying. It's necessary for me just for the uh, sensual enjoyment of nourishment. It's just good. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I, I cannot drink Bud Light. So yeah, I'm a snob when it comes to that.
1: I feel the same way about my Cartier watch. I'm not going to go rock a Timex on my wrist, honey. <laughs> All
2: right. But, but let me challenge you just a little bit. Sure. It is something that can be enjoyed communally. Uh, with others mm-hmm. who, who share that same value, uh, mm-hmm. so you're sitting around a table, you're at the uh, tap room. Sure, uh, you're with others. It's a community building activity. It, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that you can say that about some other consumer indulgences. You mentioned your watch. Yeah, sure. You sit around with other watch lovers and and talk about your watch and enjoy. Of course. Oh, Listen, right. I would
1: okay. I would say to you, like you know, you can go shopping with a group of friends, and it's a delightful group activity, community bonding. We hide our our, our purchases from our husbands at the end of the day. It feels very camaraderie <laughs> building. No, I mean, of course. Uh, what what I think we're both getting at is that you know, responsibly choosing the indulgences in your life is essential. Am I responsible sure. about my choices, Matt? No. Okay, if that's what you <laughs> wanted to hear from me, no, I am not. But, um, but listen, maybe this conversation has uh, forced me to rethink some of my holiday wish list items. I really appreciate your perspective and you taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much.
2: All righty. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it.
1: the break a special holiday edition of am i going to hell for this and now for some
4: ads unholier than now is brought to you by headspace life can be stressful even under normal circumstances so you need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes and that is headspace
1: yes headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app And it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Yes. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help for falling asleep? Yes. Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for you parents out there, especially you parents homeschooling, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Their approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being.
4: Brian, have you ever used Headspace before? Actually, have used Headspace before because there was an event a few weeks ago where hundreds of millions of people had to decide if they wanted to keep their leader or pick a new leader, and it was really, really stressing me out. And so I, you know, went to my room, I closed the door, a little candle, I turned on my Headspace app. Um, I had a little SOS meditation. It really calmed me down for the hours of cable news I would watch later. That actually makes
1: a lot of sense. I also had a great time with Headspace. I especially love the extremely handsome sounding Australian man who Took me through an introduction to meditation, and I learned a lot of really great things about acknowledging things, letting things go, breathing Mm -hmm. into the meditation, and it really actually does make a difference. So I wasn't surprised to learn that Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits with over 600,000 five star reviews and over 60 million downloads, which basically means that Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with
4: mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, and anywhere. Anywhere. And you deserve to feel happier. You really do. I think everyone deserves to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash unholy. That's headspace.com slash unholy for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation.
1: That's the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash unholy today and holier than thou is brought to you by Bev. I don't know about you guys, but throughout this entire pandemic, I have been pounding the wine and I am so excited that finally I get to support a female founded and run wine business that delivers the most gorgeous Pinot Gris It is called Bev, and Unholier
4: Than Thou is brought to you by Bev. Bev is a female-first wine brand that was found to change not only the way a product is consumed, but the way an entire industry and culture have operated for generations. When you think about, you know, stuffy sommelier, it's always a dude, right? It is. Always, always a dude, always stuffy. Mm-hmm. So, in an industry that's almost exclusively masculine, Bev is breaking norms and creating something from the female perspective that is approachable, fun, and consumer centric.
1: They have three varietals, rose, sauvignon blanc, and pinot gris. I love mm. saying pinot gris, mm. as well as a limited edition, extra fizzy, sparkling white wine for the holidays. Brian, I understand mm-hmm. this sparkling white wine is on your holiday wish list.
4: It is absolutely oh. on my holiday wish list. I would like multiple cans because my family is really hard to deal with. I I'm super excited about this extra fizzy wine because if uh, my family really flattens me out. So if I have a normal level of fizzy, I usually leave Thanksgiving (sighs) pretty burnt. Um, But if you give me extra fizzy going (laughs) in, then I'm still fizzy coming out the other end. (laughs) Wow.
1: Drag your family on this ad (laughs) read. I love it. Um, The wines of Bev are dry, crisp, and a little fizzy. They are super refreshing and delicious. They have zero sugar. And only three carbs and 100 calories per serving, so my nutritionist will not yell at me after drinking Mm -hmm. them. And the cans may look cute and tiny, but each one is actually a glass and a half of wine, which is perfect for when you don't want to open a bottle of wine just for yourself, which I've done on too many occasions. (laughs) So that means a 24-pack of Bev is equal to eight bottles of wine, which is
4: perfect for a holiday time. Or just a night in by yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And their four packs are the perfect and cutest holiday gift for everyone on your list. And Bev ships straight to your door and the shipping is always, 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 always free. Bev has worked out an
1: exclusive deal for Unholy Than Now podcast listeners. Receive 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping on all orders. I suggest trying their best-selling Ladies' Night Variety Pack so you can check out all of their delicious varietals. Go to drinkbev.com slash unholy or use code unholy at checkout to claim this deal. That's D-R-I
4: nkbev.com slash unholy. Unholier Than Thou is brought to you by Lord Jones. We have a new sponsor and we are really excited about it. Lord Jones, makers of the world's finest CBD products.
1: CBD is all the rage these days, but pioneering brand Lord Jones is considered the gold standard. For years, they've been changing people's lives at their premium CBD products. And Lord Jones has long been a favorite among celebrities worldwide, showing up in the Instagram feeds of Hollywood's biggest names.
4: And now they're inviting you, yes, you, to experience the finest CBD products available, from world-class skincare to tinctures to decadent gumdrop confections. If you're curious about what CBD can do for you, trust me, you want to start with the best. Lord Jones is crafted with the
1: highest quality ingredients in premium hemp-derived CBD that's lab-tested for purity,
4: strength, and consistency. Plus, their gorgeous packaging makes for the perfect gift. So go to lordjonescom unholy to get 25% off your first order. Go to lordjonescom unholy for 25% off your first order. lordjonescom unholy.
0: If you want to make an entrance, bring the sabor with new modelo chelada fresa picante. A mouth-watering mix of authentic Mexican beer, bold strawberry flavor, and a hint of spice. With great taste bursting out of every can. So bring something sweet to your next barbecue or bring a little spice to Sunday's brunch. Bring refreshing strawberry flavor to any fiesta with new Modelo Chelada Fresa Picante. Bring the sabor. Drink responsibly. Modelo Chelada flavored beers. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Okay, y'all, it's time for one of my favorite segments. Am I going to hell for this? Joining me for this week of Eternal Damnation is the comedian Brian Safi. Brian, thanks for being here.
3: I'm already living for this game. It's just right up my alley, so I'm stoked.
1: Do you want to dive right in because the first one's quite a doozy? Yes. Okay, great. Um, One of our listeners wants to know if they are going to hell for masturbating in their childhood bedroom during
3: the holidays. What do you think, Brian? God, you know, more and more for me, hell sounds like heaven. Um, I, I think, I mean, I would absolutely endorse this. I, my feeling is that you're so inhibited as a child, like you should just go back and show him who's on top now. Um, wow, I'm say, literally, yeah, right. Okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say you won't go to hell for this. Okay, can I add a plot
1: twist to the question? Of course. What if you are in your childhood bedroom? During the holidays, masturbating to MILF porn.
3: You just I hear that's something that th- straight people do. Wait, they go home over the holidays and masturbate to MILF porn? I don't know about the
1: like the context. I just know that like MILF is a popular category on Pornhub's analytics. So I'm just like, what Got if you're it. in your childhood bedroom watching MILF porn, Look, getting off? Is that weird?
3: I feel like part of being spiritual religious or having faith is opening your mind a little bit and I love the trajectory of younger guys dating older women so I'm all for it I think you're going to heaven for being open minded
1: okay got it and then and then what if it's dilf porn are you okay with that also
3: you know or are you partaking I, I have a very complicated relationship with my father so if I did it I would feel like I was going to go to hell but, but if someone else did it, um, I feel like it would be homophobic for me to say they were going to hell. So anyone who's free of those chains, you're not going to hell.
1: Uh, yeah. And also I want to add one thing, which is that m- masturbation, especially like in the context of like you're alone, it's just you and your screen and your hand or accessories, whatever you're doing. This is a safe space for you to explore sexual fantasies, sexual deviancies. Yes. and and it's just because it's it's just you it it means that like at least you're not taking your sexual fantasies or deviancies out on a partner or expressing it in an unhealthy way so i say what you do in your bedroom is your business so long as it is safe and legal and yeah. that's
3: i think that's that right i do too and i also think listen for a lot of people the bedroom is where they got the party started growing up so yeah. it's kind of nice to go back there and relive it
1: it was the bathroom for me, but yes, I'm, I'm happy that some people had safe bedrooms. I shared a
3: bedroom with my younger brother, which You know, was I awkward. didn't masturbate till college, so I actually – <gasps> yeah, so I, I was too afraid to. So I actually – my bedroom is very clean, but I do go crazy in there on myself now when I visit.
1: Got it. Well, I'm glad that you're kept, you're making up for lost time. <laughs> That's right. Good for you. Okay, ready for the next one? Yes. Am I going to hell for telling my, quote, gluten intolerant friend, my friend's giving dessert is gluten free when it actually isn't? <laughs>
3: my God. This what a is psycho. I'm telling you, this is something I would admire, except that I actually know people who, well, I guess, I don't know if gluten intolerance is the same thing as having celiac. I know people with celiac that it would be really bad. I'm going to say you're going to hell for
1: I it. I think gluten intolerant is like the level before. So like, like maybe the they haven't got their making. celiacs. It sounds like that's what they're insinuating with the quote placement around gluten intolerant. Like okay. They think they're celiacs, but they're not diagnosed.
3: Yeah. I say do it.
1: <gasps> you think that they're going to heaven for lying about the gluten content? No, contents? I do. You're
3: right. I say do it, but that's truly, I'm the devil on the shoulder. So come join me. I say they're going to hell.
1: Okay. And you'll see them in hell is what you're saying. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> I think if you willfully give someone diarrhea, I, as a gay man, I would say that that is a cardinal sin. I'm with
3: you. When you phrase it like that, there's, I, yes, you took it to the level that is the most accurate and correct. One
1: time Gwyneth Paltrow on Goop was advertising a coffee enema, and I literally wanted to be like, are you a Christian conservative woman? And is this an anti-gay agenda, Gwyneth Paltrow on Goop? Honestly.
3: Honestly. Wow. Imagine coffee up there, what that would do to you? No, I mean, just it would make your butt burst. Yes, literally. Yeah. That's that's honestly completely homophobic. Completely
1: homophobic. Yeah, Yeah. I'll write a letter to Gwyneth. I'll let her know. I'll sign it with you. This is my favorite one because this is something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast. Am I going to
3: hell for being rude to a relative who voted for Trump this Thanksgiving? You know... I feel. I want you to answer this first because I've already done that, like this weekend, and I have mixed feelings. You about, were rude. Oh yeah. <laughs> what did not, you do? Brian? Not like screaming or cursing Confess. or any, anything like that. I just said um, I have some relatives who told me that they believe it was rigged and that there it was fraud that Biden won, and I just was like, "Snap out of it! You're educated people. You're citizens of this country, and it's completely un-American, your belief system." Stop.
1: You it. literally share and moonstruck them minus the I bitch fully,
3: slap. D- I didn't even think about that till now. I literally said the word snap out of it. You're right. Snap out of it. And yes, I was like, grow share. up. Yeah. That is share speaking through you. That's right. So, therefore, it's not a sin. Thank you. I did leave out the part where I said, and you can forget about seeing me over the holidays. Um, Do you
1: feel that, that you still stand by that? You don't want to see them over the holidays? Not
3: if I have to listen to that. Then no. Right. Yeah.
1: And so that's, I think, the root of this thing, right? If they voted for Trump and they are also supporting this Republican attempt at a coup of our government, bridge too far, absolutely
3: be rude to them. Yes, right. I agree because then you're just living in fantasy land, and except it's that that really is hell in America. Is that just just insanity?
1: If you voted for Trump, you're in hell. This
3: is like you're in the hell part of our yes. simulation and
1: the rest of us are trying to
3: climb out of it. And I told them even, I was like supportive in this way, being like, I know who you are. You are not yes. this. And if you are this, I have a very low opinion of it.
1: Absolutely. I actually have not spoken to my Trump-supporting godmother in four years since the last election. Good for you. And there are members of my family who I suspect support Trump. They have not outed themselves, but I know enough to tell My family, I am not going home for the holidays this year, and I do not want to be in a room with them again. If they want to have the conversation where they say, I see the error in my ways and I would like to talk to you about it, I'm open to having that conversation. But they're going to need to start that conversation. And if you want to put me in a room with those people, you better be prepared to stand by my side as the sole gay person at the table and to stand up for me and to stand up for everyone else who Trump marginalized during his presidency. Otherwise, don't invite me home because I don't want to
3: see you either, bitch. You want to see a leftist liberal scream and cry? Invite me home because there is absolutely no way you're getting with an ounce of it in front of me. I'm not going to cry. I think I would just run for the knife, the knife
1: rack. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm Italian, you know what I mean? We handle I gotta say,
3: this. you have made me feel so much better about that conversation I had because a little part of me was like, maybe I shouldn't have gone so hard, but as the days go by, I'm like, no, I, I feel good about what I said. Listen, we, we keep on tricking ourselves
1: as the good little liberals. You're we right. keep on trying to rise above and we keep on rising above and they keep going lower and i i love michelle obama i don't believe when they go low we go high i think we can stay exactly where we are and they can go fuck themselves I'm i think with that's you. that's the end I'm
2: with
1: you. i know this is a religious podcast and i'm probably supposed to be like find forgiveness and peace and harmony but fuck that okay fuck that and by the way aren't gays the are supposed to be
3: religious just accept e- it and seriously. move on and
1: be kind they can't absolutely okay
3: and you know what the irony of this is that maybe you and i are both going to hell for this. You know what? We did say what we said, but we but but we didn't get an objective god point of view.
1: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, I guess that we'll have to take it up with Jesus or whoever you believe in in true. the big house eventually. True.
3: Brian, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Oh my god, I love your show and this was a blast. So thank you for having me. Thank you. I'll see
1: you in hell. I'll see you in hell. Woo! Party! <laughs> Well, folks, that's all for our show today. If you liked what you hear, subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, give us five stars and tag me in all of your absurd holiday purchases. And don't forget, the Georgia Senate runoffs are happening right now. For more information on how we can save the Senate and defeat the real Grinch, Mitch McConnell, head to votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia. That's votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia. We should all have Georgia on our minds. Sorry for the cheesy joke. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Holier than now is a cricket media production. Brian Semmel is our associate producer and Sydney Rapp is our assistant producer with production support from Ruben Davis. The theme song is by Taka Gassizawa and the show is executive produced by me, Lyra Smith, and Sarah Geismer. Thanks for
2: listening.
0: If you want to make an entrance, bring the sabor with new Modelo Chelada Fresa Picante, a mouth watering mix of authentic Mexican beer. Bold strawberry flavor and a hint of spice with great taste bursting out of every can. So bring something sweet to your next barbecue or bring a little spice to Sunday's brunch. Bring refreshing strawberry flavor to any fiesta with new Modelo Chelada Fresa Picante. Bring the sabor. Drink responsibly. Modelo Chelada flavored beers. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.